0: Hey, everyone. Welcome to the Smart Economy Podcast, a production of NeonewsToday.com. I'm your host, Dylan Grabowski. This episode of the Smart Economy Podcast is part of a handful we'll be releasing about bridging the knowledge gap between traditional internet and finance and the Web3 industry. In this episode, I chat with Chris Sowers, the founder of writingcoaching.com. Chris has been a writing coach for about five years and has worked with several writing professionals, including screenwriters for popular television shows. In 2020, he began to coach and edit articles for the Neo News Today team, which is where he's gained much of his exposure to the blockchain industry. In this conversation, Chris and I talk about how traditional companies can engage employees to keep them around, how his side hustle has evolved and grown to coaching more than a dozen writers what it was like first discovering cryptocurrency and his first impressions, how people working in this industry for the betterment of society positively changed his perceptions of the technology, how blockchain can be used to reduce friction in remote working and traditional industry, and much more. Just a reminder, nothing said on this podcast is a solicitation to buy or sell any tokens, that nothing should be taken as financial advice, And that the host or guests may hold tokens discussed in any given episode. With that said, I really enjoyed chatting with Chris, and I hope you enjoy the conversation too. Hey guys, welcome to the Smart Economy Podcast. Today I'm joined by Chris Sowers, the founder of writingcoaching.com. How are you doing today, Chris?
1: I'm doing great, Dylan. Thanks. How are you?
0: I'm awesome. I think we should probably just get this little bit out of the way. You have been the writing and editing coach for me and the rest of the Neo News Today team for a couple of years now. So there's a bit of a prior relationship there. Yes, there is. When did you start working with us? It's been a while.
1: I think, yeah, I was thinking about that the other day. I think it has been right around two years.
0: Awesome. And just to kind of paint the picture, were you in the blockchain space at all before you started writing or editing our writing work? No, not at all. No, you guys were my uh, welcome into this wonderful world. Awesome. So I think to kind of paint context, maybe we can just talk very briefly, high level about what your primary day job is, and then also talk about how the writing gig is your side hustle.
1: Yeah. I live in the, the Midwestern part of the United States, and I uh, am an engineering manager at a, a pretty large industrial manufacturing company uh, headquartered here in the Midwest. I've worked there for about 20 years. And yeah, that's that's really it. There's, there's not a whole lot uh, exciting there. I I am an engineer, a mechanical engineer by education. How I got into to coaching kind of stems from that. I was in a position a few years ago at my day job where I was doing a lot of leadership coaching, uh, and I really loved it another opportunity came around and I took it, but I discovered then how much I missed and loved that coaching aspect. And so I decided to try to do something in my nights and weekends along those lines and making a pretty long story as short as I can. That's how I wound up doing writing coaching. I sort of also in parallel discovered that people were really looking hiring me to to work with them on their writing because I was also doing some publishing and things like that just because it's what I like to do. So a few years later here we are.
0: Yeah, I remember very distinctly when we kind of hit the breaking point at NNT where Dean was just kind of like, I know what I'm looking for, but I don't know how to describe it to you. And I was very frustrated because I was like, I'm writing the best I can and we're just not aligning. So it was really Awesome to, to, I didn't know that it's, it's obvious in hindsight that there's a writing coach service, but I didn't know that there was like a person like you to fill that role. So it was kind of interesting from my own perspective to kind of like start working with you because it saved my sanity (laughs) and probably the rest of the team as well. Before we kind of like go into the creative side, something that I think is really interesting is that you have been with your company now for almost 21 years. And in this day and age, that's a complete rarity. My father's generation and my dad's dad's generation, they would find a job and they would stick there for their whole career. And today, especially with millennials, and I don't even know what Gen Z is like anymore, You know, the average career track for a millennial, at least this is what they told us when I was in college, was you'll spend five years working on like an industry, and then you'll jump ship to a new one and spend another five years there. So the modern day and age, especially as technology becomes more and more prevalent in our lives, and we don't have to work in the same geographic location anymore. It's just so rare to run into somebody like you. And this job you've had was your first job out of grad school, and you've been with them the entire time.
1: It is. It is where I've been for that long. Yeah, So it's hard for me to believe, too. To be
0: honest. So maybe just doing a little bit of introspection. What is it that has kept you in with this one company for twenty-one years, and why do you think that this isn't the norm anymore?
1: Yeah, th- those are really good questions. The easier one is probably why have why have I stuck around for so long, and quite for, you know, I, I don't want to share too much about. The company or, or or too much inside baseball with with what they're about, but but where I work, you really can kind of do what you described without leaving the company. It's a really flexible environment. The company's leadership, at least the leaders that I've had along the way, have always been very invested in employee development. And if you're not happy with what you're doing, you can change. And they've done a really good job of realizing that if they don't allow us that kind of flexibility as employees, we're going to find it elsewhere. So. That's probably, you know, every few years when I kind of get an itch to do something a little different, I've been able to do it and stay within the company. Things are definitely different now. A good portion of even our engineering workforce is now on a hybrid or remote kind of working arrangement. And so we're facing struggles along those lines of now you really can, even if you live in the middle of the Midwestern US, you can work for a company on the coast Whereas maybe a few years ago you couldn't do that as much as you can now. That's having obviously you know you could you could spend days reading everything that's been published on this topic, but it really is. I'm I'm seeing how it affects us uh, as a company. Your bigger question around why why have things changed? And you know my parents and grandparents were much the same. They worked for the same company for a long time. I think. I don't know, at least in my situation with my own father, I saw him work for a grocery store. He worked for the grocery store in the town that I grew up in for 25 years. And then he lost his job and he lost his job through no fault of his own, but just through kind of organizational dynamics and, you know, that fancy term re-engineering that used to be popular and seeing him go through that, right. He had dedicated 25 years to this company and suddenly he was nothing to them that had a big impact on me at a very formative point in my life. And so if even younger generations than me, I'm almost 50 years old, if even younger generations than me are seeing that happen, you start to question, is it worth it? Is it worth it really to give all of myself to this company that can turn around and do, and do that and, and completely disrupt my life? It's a good point. And I think a lot of people just aren't willing to, to make that sacrifice anymore.
0: Well, it sounds like you kind of got lucky with your company because they prioritized engaging the employees and keeping you guys around. So it's kind of cool that you got to jump ship. I myself get the itch to do something new all the time. After college, I was a fundraiser and then I wanted to go into planning. And then I got sick of urban planning. And now I'm writing about fake internet money for a living. (laughs) And I also just didn't recognize that there were any companies or enterprises that kind of fostered this sort of internal growth. And I think that maybe there's like a nugget of truth or a nugget of gold for companies as we move forward, especially in this rapidly remote working world that we live in. So thanks for kind of sharing a little bit about that. Now, I can't imagine that mechanical engineering is necessarily your passion. And when you go back and look at your academic record, you got a bachelor of of fine arts, was it or
1: liberal arts? Yeah, well, a bachelor of arts,
0: yeah. Bachelor of arts. So maybe in college, when you were before you got smacked down by the realities of the world and having to have a family and make a decent income, maybe you had these visions of grandeur of being a writer or something. So, where did your passion for writing kind of start? And was it in college? Was it before college? Could you talk a little bit about that?
1: Yeah I think it it was it was well before college you know as as early as I was able to write I would work on stories or it's just something that I've always liked to do I've always I've always loved to read I've always yeah enjoyed writing and I was I was generally pretty good at it I remember getting feedback in grade school you know from teachers and and it, you know a couple instances where something I I wrote was in, <laughs> you know read to the class <laughs> you know silly stuff like that But my point is, I was pretty good at it. And maybe I would have tried to make a career out of it from the beginning. But I just, I didn't necessarily get the encouragement to do so. And maybe didn't even know what that could look like. And so I've kind of had to just find my own way with it over the years. And here I am, you know, literally decades later, doing it for fun. Of course, as a, like you described it, the side hustle, I just enjoy doing it.
0: Yeah, it's hard to envision building a career when you look at like Steinbeck or (laughs) even Hunter S. Thompson, and these guys are just like drunk all the time, writing away in some little hovel in like a Caribbean (laughs) island somewhere. You know, it sounds great and it's very romantic, but like that's not going to feed your kids. That's right. So then your interest in writing, did that stem because you could write or was it like a book or something like that, that kind of sparked your interest? Because I I very much remember what book it was for me that kind of like kicked things off. It was Angela's Ashes. Oh, wow. Yeah. And after reading that, I was like, my God.
1: Well, it's phenomenal, isn't it?
0: Yeah. I have clients that'll read a book like that and and it'll
1: almost have the opposite effect where it intimidates them so much. It's like, this is so beautiful. This is so amazing. I can never do that. And then there's others like you who do get inspired by wonderful writing and, and want to pursue it that way. So it's interesting being a coach and trying to figure out, like, you know, when you and I work together, maybe I take a different approach than when I work with some other clients who might be intimidated by that, whereas you're inspired by it. Um, but that's not your question, is it? Your question is around if there was a single book for me. I really don't think there was, you know, as a kid, I loved reading Stephen King books. If I had a favorite author at the time, that was probably it. I, I never would have thought that I could do that. I had a really active imagination as well. So maybe I would try to write you know, my 12-year-old version of a horror story or something like that. So if I had to pinpoint something, it would probably be Stephen King, I guess.
0: That's a pretty big author for a kid. I remember trying to crack through Jurassic Park when I was 12 by Michael Crichton, and I just could not, <laughs> even though I loved the movies.
1: Well, you know, back then, Dylan, we didn't have the internet, so...
0: Uh... <laughs> And we had three
1: channels on television. So there, were, there weren't the options that you have today.
0: So I guess maybe you could just describe a little bit about what it's like being a professional in the writing field now, and maybe kind of compare or contrast to your day job, if they're at all even relatable. You know, the relatable
1: thing, I'm a, an engineering director at my company, and I don't do engineering anymore. So the relatable thing is that everything I that I do at my day job and in this is related to people. And how do you how do you navigate organizational dynamics, team dynamics, individual dynamics in order to accomplish a goal? And I I I do a lot of coaching at, at my job still, not formally like I used to or formally like I do in the writing. So that's probably the relatable bit that crosses over between the two. As far as coaching writers, I just I love helping people get to the next level. And specifically, what I've and I've been doing this for five years, what I've discovered that I'm pretty good at and really what I love to do is help good or very good writers get to the next level. So if you have no idea what you're doing, I'm going to struggle with you. But it's like you and and Edge, you guys were already really, really good. And I remember telling Dean this when he first reached out to me, you're already really, really good. I think I can help you get from that 90 Or 95 to 100. That's what I really love to do. And I love to see like the connections. Like when a client makes that connection, when they kind of discover these things, it's just, it gives me chills even to think about the moments that that has happened.
0: Yeah. I go back and look at some of the articles I wrote in 2018, 19, 2020. And I'm like, who the hell wrote this? (laughs) After years of working with you, that next level for me has just kind of been. Catching things as I'm writing them or, or while I'm editing my first draft, I can kind of envision, you know, what would what would Chris say? Maybe maybe I can beat him to the punch. And so it's kind of ingrained these new like checklists that I have internally, which is really gratifying because when I went to grad school for planning, my goal wasn't to come out and be like the world's best planner. I literally wanted to become a better writer. Like that was what my big goal was: was how can I start writing? papers to describe like my conceptualizations of how cities should be designed or how transportation networks should be built in the US to help decrease congestion and improve quality of life for people who don't even care to take a bus or or take the train so it's been really awesome to kind of like go from that 90% to 99% of course i don't feel like i'm a great writer so uh, i feel like maybe that's a bit of humility that maybe is necessary to continue progressing
1: So I think you are, and it's good that you don't. I'll just say that because then you're always always wanting to improve. So, And and that's kind of what I've discovered. And that's another parallel, I think, to my engineering work too, is the best engineers don't think they're the best. What makes them so great is that they're starting to realize everything that they don't know. And the more they know, the more they realize there's more they don't know. And that is what I think is
0: true expertise. Cool. So, can you share just um I understand that your clients maybe it's not like a like a lawyer client relationship where there's privilege of of not sharing, you know, insider information, but can you just share some broad overviews of the types of clients you have because as we mentioned earlier in this podcast, we're one of your clients, but like you hadn't heard of blockchain until you started coaching us. So, I can only imagine you have some really interesting clients working in maybe weird and unique places in this world.
1: Yeah, I don't I don't know if there's too many weird or unique. I'll tell you most of the clients that I work with are I wouldn't say there's anything weird or unique about them. They just they're at a point in their life where they want to get their thoughts onto the screen or onto paper. And for whatever reason they've they've discovered that they could use some support in doing that. So it's a lot of people that want to start a blog just to kind of express their thoughts, right? And put their thoughts out there into the world. That's what I work with a lot. I also, I've been surprised, maybe if there's been one surprise, it's the number of professional writers who reach out for coaching. Because I thought when I first started doing this, I thought, and like I said, I didn't set out to be a writing coach. People started hiring me as a coach to work with them on their writing. One day I woke up and realized I have a dozen writing clients. I guess that means I'm a writing coach. So that's what I started focusing on. But when they did first start hiring me, it was the bloggers. They want to start a blog or they they just need some support along those lines. And what's been surprising since I flipped everything over and am solely focusing on coaching writers now is the number of professional writers that will reach out for this kind of support. And it's really around accountability. They know how to write. They don't need me helping them improve their writing. I've worked with Writers, for example, without sharing too much, I've worked with writers who have, well, one writer who has worked on the Stranger Things series on Netflix. Cool. And when he disclosed that to me, I'd been working with him already for a while and, and he shared that with me and he needed accountability. So he knew what he needed to work on. He's a great writer, obviously. Look what he's done with his career. He needed somebody to remind him to do his writing every day, right? And to be there as kind of that, because when you're a writer, it's sort of what you miss. You, You don't have when you're, you know, you're a freelance writer or whatever, you don't have a boss looking over your shoulder, like in many jobs, telling you what to do and checking your work every day. And, you know, some people need that and credit to them, even the professionals who, who realize that and say, yeah, I've got this deadline. I've got to have this, whatever turned in in three months, but I know left to my own devices, I'll wait until day, you know, two months, 29 days before I think about it. So I need a coach to to hold me accountable. So yeah, I kind of got a little off track there, but everything from, I want to start a blog to, I sold this movie script and now I got to actually write it. Like I sold this idea and now I got to write it. You know what I mean? And everything in between. So it's It's really cool and pretty humbling, and a little bit of imposter syndrome will set in now and then. And then I, I remind myself now. There's a reason they hired you. It's okay. You're allowed to coach them.
0: (laughs) I totally understand what it's like having imposter syndrome. I'm constantly feeling like I'm the dumbest person at the table, which is where I want to be in the blockchain space because there's just so many more intelligent developers, designers, architects, things of this nature. And it's really funny that you brought that specific example up, I'm rewatching Seinfeld right now. And in season three, George and Jerry, they get hired to put a pilot script together for NBC. And for like three or four episodes, it's just them continuously delaying the actual work. Like they'll sit down to work (laughs) and then they'll pick up the phone to call Elaine or turn on the TV. So they never actually get the work done. And then of course, that's part of the show kind of dealing with you know, their own trouble that they put themselves into. But that's also something that I kind of wanted to pull a thread on. Myself having, I, I wouldn't call myself a creative because I'm not like writing stories or putting together scripts, but like writing and putting together podcast episodes, it's, it's more on the creative side rather than like the have a boss over your shoulder side. Yeah. Uh, so I myself feel there are times when I'm just not, inspired. I just don't have that juice flowing through me. And as a quote unquote professional, I need to force my way through that. What's it like for you? Because there's a little bit, just like me, it's half and half. You're not having to put these concepts onto paper and build this whole world that you need to tell a story about, but you do need to step into that creative realm to edit somebody's work. So as a writing coach, do you find that Sometimes you have writers block yourself and you just can't edit or you feel like you can't edit. And so what's that like being a professional writing coach and pushing through that? And maybe what are some tips or tricks you've picked up over the years?
1: Yeah, I love this topic. And just about every writing client that I've worked with over the years faces this to some degree, this very thing that you're bringing up. and. Actually, I would if if anybody listening, there's a fantastic book on this subject called "The War of Art" by Stephen Pressfield. It's just fantastic, and it it's all about this very topic. and And Pressfield calls it the resistance when you sit down to do. And I think it would apply to anything creative when you sit down to do it. There's this creative resistance there, uh, and it's exactly what you're talking about. And the whole book is really about how to how to work through the resistance. And you know, there's there's Little tips and tricks that you can try. Really, it comes down to what you said, which is sometimes you just got to tell yourself you got to do the work. You know, at at my day job, I can't wake up in the morning and say, you know, I'm just not feeling it today. I mean, I could, I guess, but I don't, right? You show up and you put in the work, regardless of your level of motivation. You know, I'm just not feeling inspired to engineer today, or I'm I'm just not feeling motivated to do this, but you do it anyway. And and Pressfield really recommends taking that same approach to your creative work is don't wait for the muse to visit you because the muse shows up when they want to, not when you need to do the work. When the muse does visit you, that's fantastic. You know, we we might call that flow or something like that, um, but it's not always going to happen. And by the way, a way to get the muse to show up is to do the work. And if you just sit down and start doing the work, lots of times inspiration comes from doing the work, not the other way around. And so that's what I work a lot with clients on is just, you don't have to write the whole novel today. Write a sentence, just write a paragraph, go write a paragraph right now in 30 minutes and check back in with me and tell me it's done. And lots of times I'll hear from them three hours later saying, Hey, I did the paragraph and it just, it turned into seven pages because that's the kind of thing that happens. So so that would be a, a tip there is to just do it. Don't wait for the muse, just do it. I've also worked a lot with clients on so kind of paying attention to their creative energy levels. I can't write in the afternoon. Yeah, I just cannot. I can edit in the afternoon or in the evening, but I can't write then. So even, even if I got to put together kind of a, a more involved email for work, I can't do that in the afternoon. So, pay attention to your creative energy levels and reserve time when your creative energy is at a peak. I think you'll find that it's it's pretty consistent day to day. And so, reserve that time for your creative work versus when you're in a in a creative trough or or however you want to however you'd phrase it.
0: Yeah, I noticed my writing creativity is at its highest early morning, kind of right after I wake up, right before lunch. When I first went full time with Neo News today. I was actually waking up, setting my alarm to wake up at 6.30 so I could get my writing done and be done by 10. And this was in October, November. So there was no daylight in the morning for a few hours. So I felt like I'd be working when the whole world was asleep. And it was like my kind of superpower, I guess, if you will. Yeah. You kind of alluded to it in your response, but Do you have to tackle those creative blockers as an editor as well? Or because the words are in front of you and you have this objective task, it's a little bit different?
1: It depends on the editing, really. So there's, without getting into too much detail, there's, there's content editing and there's line editing. Content editing is the person really needs some help with structure. They've got the ideas. They don't quite know in what order to put them or how to connect them. That's what I would call content editing. That definitely requires a higher level of creative energy then what's called line editing, which is basically it's there. I'm fixing grammar and spelling stuff. So yeah, it does apply. It's the, And it depends on the kind of editing that you're doing. And the, the line editing I can do when you know in the afternoon or the evening when my creative energy isn't real high, but that kind of structural editing. Like if you come to me and say, hey, I've got these great ideas. I just don't know how to put this together. I'd be most effective working on that in the early morning,
0: just like you. Something that I like about this conversation is even though the Smart Economy podcast was born out of Neo News Today podcast, which focused directly on blockchain, we're moving into a new economic model with the further integration of technology and remote work is just going to be something that becomes more and more a part of our life. So something I really appreciate about this conversation, even though it so far hasn't been super blockchain focused, is that we're talking about ways in which people can Take their careers into their own hands and kind of join this new economic paradigm shift. Where you know, when I went went to college, I was told you're going to get a job and you're going to work at that job for X amount of years. But it was already happening in the mid 2000s with YouTube becoming so popular and Twitter and just everybody using the internet. So a lot of this kind of ties into how people can really take the reins over what they want to do with their lives, their quality of life, how they want to be employed. So something that I think is really interesting from your perspective and you kind of alluded to this earlier how you just stumbled upon someone and then I have 12 clients. <laughs> what does this look like for somebody and and maybe it doesn't necessarily have to be creative writing. It it could be all sorts of other jobs that you find online, but ultimately like The freelancer, the person who's starting their own business, they need to come up with clients. What does that process look like for finding clients? And I'd also like to hear how you got in contact with the Neo News Today team.
1: Yeah, yeah, sure. For me, there was this hole in my life when I left that job where I was purely training and coaching and switched to another more directly engineering managing kind of role there was just this hole that I was looking to, to fill. And, you know, I started kind of just looking around on the, on the internet for, I I knew I wanted, I kind of had an idea that I wanted to coach. I sort of wanted to coach leaders. That's what I had been doing at my, at my job. And I liked doing it. And I, I was just kind of Googling and I discovered this platform. It's called coach.me and you could get certified to be an online coach. Oh, well, what the heck? I'll give that a shot. I started out trying to coach. I had packages on there for leadership coaching. <laughs> Hindsight's uh, 2020. I should have noted that no, no leaders are going to coach.me to look for uh, <laughs> executive coaching, which is basically what I was trying to do. That's not what that platform built for. That platform's built for more accountability coaching. But anyway, I, I got registered on there and eventually discovered how you needed to show up on that platform in order for clients to hire you. And it just it just sort of took off from there. So there was really no magic to it. I mean, I just kind of did some research, found that platform and decided to give it a shot. And it's it's turned into what it's turned into today. And actually, that's how Dean found me was through that platform. I had switched everything over. That was after I had kind of realized, oh, wow, look at this. I'm a writing coach. 12 of my 14 clients are writers. So I had switched everything over on that platform, and and Dean had just gotten on the platform mm-hmm. and found me. And I remember having a call with him, being completely intimidated because I knew nothing about blockchain. Uh, it was very mysterious to me, very intimidating, and I didn't think I could do what Dean needed me to do. But the the more we talked, you know, and I, I read some articles and kind of got into what you guys are doing a little bit, and. Said, yeah, let's let's see how it works. Not really sure where it would lead to. Here we are, a couple years later. I'm on your podcast, crying out loud.
0: Yeah, I remember Dean saying, "I found this guy who's great, but he knows nothing about blockchain." And he was right. And at first, it was um, kind of like, "Well, maybe we should go with the with the other folks who who do know." But ultimately, I think that that brought a whole new level that rounded us out and made us better because we get to explain these concepts now in a way that on reddit it's called eli 5 explain like i'm 5 and to have like a coach that says i don't get this you need to make it simpler for me to understand i think that that is what can help onboard you know the next 10x users in the blockchain space yeah before we kind of shift into the blockchain part of this conversation something that i can relate to with your story is i remember working for the dot in california thinking, man, I want to get out of this planning field. Like, I just am not feeling gratified by it anymore. And I didn't know what to do. So I just started writing a blog. And um, I used that blog to parlay in my first interview with Dean. He's like, can you give me writing samples? And boom, I had a blog. I was posting twice a month for like eight months, able to show something that showed I cared about writing. I want to do this. And here's some examples. Vincent from Ghost Market He got his start with Neo News Today before he started doing all his really cool things because he used to blog as well. So it's really interesting to just kind of go out there and just start throwing things against the wall. And maybe eventually they'll stick. Maybe somehow this, the starting point will lead to the next point.
1: Yeah. I love that.
0: Which is a piece of advice that, you know, I want to share with others because just. Doing, just starting to do. And this kind of ties into the writing you were just talking about. Just doing can really parlay into something really interesting that you'll never know how to get there unless you just start.
1: Yeah, I love that advice. And and you don't know, you know, there's all of this magic happening behind the curtain that you you have no idea who's reading what you're putting out there. Or it doesn't have to be writing. What whatever you're doing just because you do it, because you love to do it, you have no idea what kind of connections are being made behind that curtain. That could lead to something someday, and there's some stuff in here about manifestation and all of that. But you know, we can get as uh, as out there as we want to. But I really believe that, you know, just by putting stuff out there, there's this. I just refer to it as the magic behind the curtain that can start to happen and lead to things.
0: Yeah, uh, one of our guests on the Smart Economy podcast told me recently they they thanked me for inviting them on because. Some of their coworkers across the world got to listen to the pod and they learned things about our guest that they had no idea about, and it really opened their eyes and just kind of highlighted the expertise and knowledge that they bring to the table, even though they might not be talking about that today so hopefully future future clients of yours are listening to this at some point <laughs> later down the road in the space time continuum absolutely so. We touched upon this in the little uh, conversation we were just having. You had zero idea about blockchain before you came in to be our writing coach. So most of your exposure to this ecosystem and industry has been through our lens and our lane has been focusing on the Neo blockchain. So you know, most people come into this learning about Bitcoin or learning about Ethereum, and you've learned from our perspective. So what do you find intriguing about the work that we do? And how do you think that that relates to kind of just like the broader space? How do you think your education about crypto in general through our lens has impacted what you know? Could you just talk a little bit about that?
1: Sure. The first thing for me that really I don't know if it surprised me, but just like I said, it was very, this world was very mysterious to me. I did know a little about blockchain, but just enough to be scared of it and to be intimidated by it and cryptocurrency. To me, that term itself sounds terrifying. Why would I want anything to do with that? But when I got to know you guys and I got to see some of the amazing stuff that's happening in this world, there are really, really good people in this world who want to make a positive difference, who there's no other way to put it than who want to do good in the world. And that was a bit of an awakening to me. Are there scammers out there in the world? Of course there are. But at its core, the people that are involved in, at least in my experience through you guys in blockchain and cryptocurrency are genuinely good people who want to make a positive difference and make the world a better place. And that sounds hokey, but I really think it's true that's been a real awakening for me. I think that one of the cool things about getting exposure to this world through you guys is seeing a different lens than what maybe ordinary or average people are exposed to this world through bitcoin like you said and for me it's been through neo which has been a real different you know i've gotten to learn about blockchain through the neo lens and understand like different consensus mechanisms and different approaches like that and the the dual token model versus other models. And it's been really cool to kind of get exposed to the different solution ideas through you guys, because, you know, I want to know more about Ethereum. I want to know more about Bitcoin because of where I'm starting with you guys. Had I started through Bitcoin, I don't know that I would have ever really wanted to broaden from there. It's It's hard to say, but I really do like seeing things through your guys' lens
0: that way. Do you remember the first time you heard about Bitcoin or Ethereum? Like how far back was it? For me personally, I remember I was in grad school and Bitcoin had just dropped from like seven hundred to three hundred dollars. and I was like, "That's a scam." <laughs> and I didn't come back until 2017, and that's when I got bit by the bug. So do you remember like the first time you heard about it in passing, even if like you were just like, "Oh, internet money, cool. I won't think about this for five years." You know, I'm going to guess at a year, I'm going to guess like 2015.
1: And kind of ironically, I think the first time I really heard of Bitcoin was through my day job. A mass email was sent out from our corporate lawyers saying it is against all of our policies to mine Bitcoin using your work, work equipment. <laughs> 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 Which, of course, then everybody's like, Ooh, we can use our work equipment to mine Bitcoin. Honestly, that was probably the first I really heard. And I'm like, what does that even mean? I don't know what it means to mine. I mean, I know what it means to mine in the earth. I don't know what it means to mine Bitcoin. I'm going to guess that was around 2015. Interesting. And then it was
0: just like, after that, ignore it?
1: Pretty much. I mean, I might have done a little bit of research just to try to understand what is this? What does this even mean? But yeah, I didn't, didn't pay a whole lot more attention to it than that.
0: Yeah, it's really funny. My uncle was telling me when he was in when he was in elementary and middle school, uh, the Dare program, which if you're not in North America, Dare was a program to help keep kids from getting involved in drugs. And he told me when he was when he went, first went through the Dare program, they just gave him a piece of paper and they said, "Don't try these things at home. They will get you high." <laughs> And so, of course, he was immediately interested. So that's... Here's my checklist. <laughs> yeah. So that's kind of the perspective. I That just kind of like rang when your company said, uh, don't mind Bitcoin. You're going to make Bitcoin off of this using our, our company computers. And so to me, it just seems like maybe a few people kind of orange-pilled themselves after reading that. Like, oh, I'm not allowed to do this. Don't tell me what to do. Watch me. I bet I can get away with it. Yeah. <laughs> so in the years since you're in a quote unquote traditional engineering field and you guys are nowhere near the cryptocurrency space. Are there any conversations around the water cooler about like what Bitcoin is? What do your coworkers talk about if they talk about this space at all?
1: Yeah, there there actually are. It's interesting. I, not everybody, certainly not even a majority, but for example, there's there's someone on my team who mines Bitcoin in his garage and he and I kind of talk about that world and things like that. The NFT craze recently, he and I would talk about that. And so it is It is kind of, it's a good way to phrase it, water cooler-ish kind of discussion uh, that does happen. But it's not everybody. There are still plenty of people that have no idea what blockchain or cryptocurrency even is.
0: Before I went full-time with Neonews today, I was writing on the side and I was that crazy guy at the water cooler at your office talking about putting money into Bitcoin, uh, consensus mechanisms. And the majority of the people just kind of like, they had the look that just says like they're patting you on the head and like, oh, okay. I hope you do okay with that. And and have you noticed these conversations kind of increasing over the years or are people feeling more emboldened to talk about it or are they just becoming more interested in general?
1: I think just like, just like the rest of, of society, really, you know, there's TV commercials now for cryptocurrency, right? They're, they're, or that world at least. So, yeah, just like the rest of society, it's becoming more talked about. Not a huge topic of conversation any more than, you know, the baseball game last night, but it's on that level.
0: And um you mentioned your dad, your kids aren't children, they're growing into their own, developing their own ideas, thought processes, concepts, you know. Uh, They're coming to of age, as you could say. Are your kids talking about cryptocurrency and blockchain? Are their friends talking about it? Do the types of games they play lend credence to these types of conversations?
1: Yeah, I I think so. Our oldest son, especially, he's a senior in high school. So he's 17 years old. He's really interested. So he knows that I'm connected with you guys. And he's very interested and kind of what Neo is, what Bitcoin is, how this works. Unfortunately, not interested enough that he's going to go get a computer science degree, which is what I really would like him to do. <laughs> but but he is, it's it's intriguing to him, I would say. And he, he wants to know more about it. He thinks it's cool that I have cryptocurrency and some NFTs and he wants to see what I have. And he's, he is definitely interested and I could see I could see him starting to do a little bit of investing in this world.
0: Cool. And what about your younger kids? Is that, I would imagine that if they came to this element, it would somehow be through gaming like Roblox or something like that. Yeah, exactly.
1: Yeah, they're very into it. And that's probably where their I don't know that I can put words to this, probably where their exposure ends. And I don't know if this is true or not, but it seems to me like they might be using it without even realizing they are right you know what i mean like i don't know that they would say there are blockchain elements in these games that they play I, I don't know that they would even know that it's just part of what they do without realizing it
0: yeah that's kind of what i'm looking forward to about the space as as it continues to get older and more ingrained is that you and i we had to learn what's blockchain how does this how do cryptocurrencies differ from traditional currencies from securities from traditional assets and like even me, I grew up with the internet. I grew up having a computer in my house since day one. One of my first memories is is a computer, playing on a computer when I was like two or three. So even a, a small difference between us, this, this small difference in ages, I've grown up with the internet my entire life. Maybe you had to learn how to integrate it into your life. Exactly. So that's going to be really interesting. And like I'm excited to see Gen Z come of age, like your son uh, who's about to go to college. I'm excited to see what they do in a few years, but I'm even more excited to see what today's middle middle schoolers and el- elementary schoolers do in 10 years when they're not out there proselytizing different Bitcoin and blockchain networks. They're just using them. They're just using it. Yeah. Part of their tech stack. Yeah. So something that I wanted to to pull on is we're obviously in the middle time between then, which was no one knowing anything about Bitcoin and all of our conceptualizations are that it's used for illicit purposes on Silk Road and criminals use it. To fast forward 20 years when it's just like another native part of the technology stack that we're using, just like the internet today, we're in that middle ground right now. So I guess I'll use like a personal experience You're a grown man with a family and a career and graduate's degree. And sometimes some of the things you're writing, you're editing for us are just about asinine things like nudes tokens. So do you ever like, while you're editing some of this stuff in the crypto space, are you ever like, what the hell am I doing here? And secondly, to kind of like build on top of that, do you think that that's an opportunity or a constraint? Like memes can tell stories really quickly, and I think that that's an opportunity. Even though a lot of people would say memes are just dumb pictures on the internet, so it's kind of like a big, broad question. But what's your perspective on that?
1: Yeah, it's it's a great question. Yes, it is big and broad. Yeah, you know some of the some of the stuff you just can't help but laugh about, right? Like you brought up the perfect example the the nudes tokens, and you just can't. Of course, it's silly, but it also sticks with people, right? They're not going to forget that. One of the things that excites me about continuing to work with you guys in this in this space in general is the opportunity that's out there to make connections between the blockchain cryptocurrency world and general acceptance. And I think the thing that can help with that, you know, it's the reason I was intimidated was I didn't have a human face for this. I didn't know about it because it was this mysterious, you know, even... I knew enough to know that whoever first came up with Bitcoin was this mysterious guy that nobody could really identify. right? And to me, I think what's really going to help mass adoption is the humans that are involved in being able to see, like I did, oh my word, there are really good people in this business trying to do really good things for the betterment of society. and And again, that maybe I'm hopelessly naive. And that sounds kind of hokey. But really, I think that I think putting that human face on blockchain or cryptocurrency is really the thing that we can do to, to help the general public get more comfortable.
0: So now you've been exposed to crypto and blockchain for two years. You've gone from not knowing anything to having maybe your own opinions, insights, just based off of what you've learned through editing our work, maybe through your own research. So I'm curious to hear from your perspective, two things. How do you think blockchain and cryptocurrency can be integrated into your day job to improve processes? And how do you think it can be incorporated into your side hustle to improve processes? Oh man, good question.
1: There's In the, in the writing world, in the freelancing world, there's, I see opportunity there with you know deliver you hire somebody to do a creative job how do you pay them how do you set up a contract so that they're paid for milestone delivery and things like that of course you can do that without blockchain but but blockchain just removes a, a, a friction right can remove friction from those kinds of things in in the real world of my day job i think that the most striking example of where blockchain can help is with supply chain and the last couple of years have had Supply chain constraints all over the world at times have brought us to our knees, have brought other companies to their knees you know the the whole automotive industry here in the u s has not recovered car lots are ten percent full even today, so I think there's just tremendous opportunity there to again not i don't think reinvent anything but just remove friction
0: interesting so with two years under your belt editing for us. You know, you might not feel like it, but in an industry that's only 14 years old, you're somewhat of an expert now, (laughs) which ties back into this imposter feeling you were talking about earlier that I continue to feel day in and day out, even after covering this space full time for four and a half years. From your viewpoint, what do you think is the next trend or the next shift in the blockchain space? And if you just had to take a guess, what do you think we'll be talking about over the next few years?
1: I think, and a lot of this I've probably learned directly from you, Dylan, I think what's next is that we won't talk about this chain or that chain or that chain, that certain chains will have certain strengths and they can all exist and integrate together to deliver what the world needs them to deliver. I think from from my uh <laughs> expert two year opinion <laughs> and what I've seen I think that's probably what's next so it's not ethereum or neo maybe down the road we're not even the names of the different chains maybe aren't even that important it's just all integrated and working together to like I said deliver what we needed to deliver I
0: think that's what's
1: coming who knows
0: yeah, I mean, you're speaking my language. I think interoperability is only going to become more and more important as time goes on and there's not going to be one chain to rule them all. Ultimately, I think that there're going to be certain chains that fulfill certain needs. Like you're going to have X amount of supply chain chains and maybe even like a freelance writing chain that that folks want to use to like pay out freelance writers. And we just don't know what that's going to look like, but I, I think all signs are pointing towards being able to communicate cross-chain. I think it'll be, people will be using it without even realizing they're using it. And, and that's
1: probably true to an extent today. I remember a Thanksgiving dinner years ago and we were at my grandparents' house and my grandfather, we were talking about the internet. This would have been, I don't know, 15, 20 years ago, maybe. So the, the internet was pretty young. I remember my grandfather saying, "I don't, <laughs> I don't need the internet. <laughs> I've lived so long without the internet. I don't need it. You know, grumpy old man kind of thing. And my uncle pipes up and says, Dad, you have seven devices in this house that are currently using the internet and you don't even realize it. And I think that's probably where we're going to get to. Right. And like I said, to some degree, we're already there probably, but even even more so where it's just, it's like you said, with my younger kids, it's probably just part of their lives and they won't even really realize
0: it. You kind of already talked about this, but in wrapping up, I want to just explicitly ask you, how do you think Web3, blockchain, crypto can empower creatives and freelance writers and maybe even expand our pool of applicants from beyond just like Western nations and empower the rest of the world?
1: Oh, yeah. The, the the connectivity is just
0: staggering. The ability
1: to do exactly what you just said. and And it plays in with everything else that's going on in the workforce right now around remote work. And all of those things, they're all fitting together to drive that even more. Blockchain plays into it. Cryptocurrency plays into it, right? We don't need dollars or euros or or whatever maybe. And it it just all fits together to be driving things more and more that way. More integration, more seamless global. Integration is the only word I can come up with. But but that's only going to increase and continue to drive things that way.
0: Well, Chris, thank you so much for your time today. It was awesome to pick your brain. You listen to every one of these episodes and provide feedback. So it was awesome to have you on the other side of the mic. If somebody was listening to this and they became inspired to write or inspired to start putting their thoughts down onto paper and they want to work with you, what's the best way that somebody could reach out and get in contact with you?
1: The best way is just uh, my name, Chris, B-H-R-I-S, at writing dash com, And you can, uh, just email me directly, or, uh, I do have a website writing dash coaching.com. You can go there, click the little contact button and, and email me that way too.
0: Awesome. Thanks for sharing the mic with me today. It was awesome to chat with you.
1: Yeah, this was a lot of fun, Dylan.
0: Thank you. Cheers. Well, what did you think of that conversation? I thought it was really interesting to learn more about Chris's awakening to the positive benefits that blockchain and crypto can offer, which was because he'd recognized the efforts of good people working in this space. It was also really funny to hear about the first time he learned about Bitcoin, which was through a company memo stating employees couldn't mine it with their work computers. And it was really cool to hear about Chris's anecdotal perspective about blockchain becoming a ubiquitous part of our lives and relating that to conversations about earlier days of the internet he had with his grandpa. On that note, I want to thank you so much for taking the time to listen to the Smart Economy podcast. If you liked what you heard and want to support the show, please keep NEO News Today in mind when voting for your NEO Council representative as part of NEO's governance process. We appreciate you and look forward to catching you next time.